The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK. My name's Sammy James. And in today's podcast, we're going to be discussing the SW6 derby as Fulham ultimately fell short. It was a tale of two halves in the first half, a very even match, if anything, bossed by the home side. But Anthony Robinson's ill-advised lunge on Azpilicueta, and, you know, I really hope he's having a speedy recovery, changed the match in Chelsea's favour. And whilst Fulham put up a brave attempt to hold on to a 0-0 draw in the second half, Uh, A little moment of quality and a small mistake from the goalkeeper ultimately meant that we got zero points from the match. And in a weekend where some of our relegation rivals picked up important points, can Fulham stay in the Premier League? We look good, that's undoubted, but can Fulham actually muster enough points to stay in the division? I'll be getting the opinions today of Jack Kelly. Oh, hello. Ben Jarman. Hello, hello, hello. And Guy Barlow. Hi, Sammy. All right, well, Ben Jarman, uh, you're in charge of the three-word reviews today. Uh, I know you've had a little peruse through them. So uh, what were your favourite ones? Today, uh, we have taken our three-word reviews from Twitter, or as Jack Kelly likes to call it, the Bird app. Uh, and <laughs> we we uh, we have chosen uh, Rylan Jenkins' is SW6 is red, uh, Farrell Monk's red saves blues, DW's dark side Jedi, PFFC's too much in brackets Jedi Force and then the Envoy with Red-Eyed Jedi Uh, I just enjoyed all the Star Wars ones quite a lot there as you can tell we basically have deduced that you're a nerd (laughs) it's not that uh, well it's very obvious (laughs) yeah just embrace it you're a a Star Wars nerd well I've got a Star Wars poster up in my house so you know (laughs) if you're gonna I'm not gonna deny it yeah, well, the force wasn't quite with us yesterday, uh, but uh, fingers crossed uh, it will be. I'm, I was trying to rattle my brain for any more Star Wars puns, uh, but they weren't coming very obviously. <laughs> uh, let's get into the game then. Uh, Jack, what's your overall feeling for, from yesterday? I know you said just before the pod that you're still a bit frustrated with everything that happened yesterday. It's it's nearly been 24 hours. Has the, uh, has the frustration started to subside yet or are you still as angry as you were at 7.30 on Saturday night? I don't think it was a case of me just being angry because we lost the game. I was just disappointed in the fact that if we're if that's 11 v 11 for 90 minutes, I genuinely feel like we get something from the game. And that sort of plays into how positive I'm feeling about Fulham at the moment. I genuinely feel like we are a better team than we were, obviously, at the start of the season, but a better unit we're more organised, we have something about us, we have an identity. Uh, but it, in terms of the Chelsea game, when we went down to a 10 men, it, it felt inevitable that at some point Chelsea would strike, especially when they were putting uh, high balls into the box to the far post. And um, look, I, I genuinely think we are pretty good at football. So uh, to, <laughs> to lose to lose with 10 men by a goal to nil against a Chelsea team who apparently are good, I don't think they're any good, um, then I'll take, I won't take it, but I, I'm pretty pleased with, with what I've seen this week from Fulham uh, overall. 
Yeah, Guy, there's a real positivity around Fulham at the moment. And, you know, despite losing, we are all quite happy. But, you know, the table doesn't lie and we are stuck in 18th. We're now four points from safety. And it's it's so weird right now to be a Fulham fan because you're happy. But then you look at the occasionally like the table pops up on the news and you go, oh, yeah, it's still pretty bleak. Yeah. Um, and it was six draws in a row, which, you know, we hadn't lost for the, since the beginning of uh, when, was it December or something? And that did feel like a momentum, but ultimately, yeah, you're right. It was weird looking at the table and realising we haven't actually won, nor have we actually scored that much in that um, seven-game or six-game drawing streak. So, you know, there's been so much improvement from that first five games, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but it's still 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 a long way to go really and and I know we've got a couple of games in hand so you know you mentioned the four points off safety there a couple of games in hand which are obviously going to be crucial but um for me just echoing what Jack was saying the reason it is so annoying is just because it's Chelsea right I mean it's just (laughs) that's why that game was so frustrating the fact that we could have got something against them and um we didn't yeah. And um, Ben, let's talk about the lineup. There was just one change and it was an enforced one, which was Loftus cheek out because he can't play against his parent club and Adam Ola Lookman coming in. And again, no surprise, he made an amazing cameo against Spurs and well, he's one of the best players in our team. And, and when he's fit, which he obviously wasn't 100% fit for the Spurs game that he gets in our team. I, c- I couldn't quite work out though exactly where everyone was playing because you had Tete on the right and, you know, you had the kind of Anguissa and Reed in the double pivot, Cavalera up front, Lookman. I just couldn't quite work out exactly where Decker Dover Reed was playing. He seems to be kind of on the right hand side of Reed and Anguissa, but I don't know. I couldn't quite work out his position, but, you know, you're the tactics guru, so maybe you've got a slightly better view of it than me. Okay, yeah. I think um, the way Bobby Deckard over Reed played in this game was that Scott Parker potentially wanted him to sit on uh, Jorginho because I think we found in the opening stages of, uh, of the match that Jorginho was finding pockets of space whereby um, there was like a small pocket in between Anguissa and Reed, and then uh, the front three of Cavaliero, uh, Lookman and Bobby Deckard over Reed. And he was just basically sat in there consistently trying to pick out and find those wing-backs. And I think one of the things that gave Chelsea the edge in the first half was that he was finding way too much space and then exploiting those flanks. And you were seeing overloads at our wing-backs. You would see Pulisic tuck inside, for example, and then Chilwell go around the outside. And one of the things that Fulham really struggled to do was cut off that ball to Jorginho. And I think what Bobby Duckard over Reed's role was trying to do was sort of like cut out Jorginho and also try and cover Chilwell, which is... Very, very difficult to do. Um, I think what they wanted to do was try and hit hit Chelsea on the transition a little bit. And we started to see that towards the back end of the half where Reed sort of almost pulled out again onto the wing. Um, and that was after Fulham had almost sort of been pre- pressed back for about 10 or 15 minutes because, as I said, Chelsea were hitting the ball in wide areas and then they were pushing uh, their midfielders into those into those gaps that the mid our midfield Fulham's midfield has left to try and nullify that wide threat, and that's where they were getting most of their joy. So I think what they wanted to try and do is well, what Scott was trying to do here is, in my opinion, to try and have a little bit more of a transitional feel to the side, and, and try and hit on the counter rather than against Spurs, where we sort of were looking to hit on the transition, but 
mainly trying to hold the ball up in some sort of respect uh, through Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Obviously, we, we didn't really have that sort of ready-made replacement for him uh, this time around. I think that's a good point about about um, RLC there, Ben. I was thinking the exact same. Obviously, you know, there's been a lot of debate around him, you know, this week, uh, particularly, you know, member of the pod, Drew Healy's article. And <laughs> I think that RLC does do that job really well of holding the ball up. I mean, it was bouncing off Caballero, um, particularly in the second half. And there was that point where Zambo had a go at him for not holding the ball up well enough. And yeah, I mean, RLC is a bigger presence in, in that midfield area and actually has done a good job of holding the ball up for us. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I, I think to some defence of uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is that sometimes his decision-making can be much better than Cavaliero's. I think, as you say, in, towards the second half of that game there, there were so many times where you're expecting Cavaliero to get the ball and run and relieve pressure on the back four or five or, and the midfield. And he was sort of coming inside into a, a massive volume of Chelsea players. Surely common sense, common sense sorry, dictates that he should be trying to hit the wing and relieve the pressure using his pace and athleticism. I think Caviero has got a lot of what you look for in a number nine, you know, the pace, the athleticism, but just doesn't have any of the finishing qualities. Yeah, and, and the thing with Cavalero is he can do one part of the hold-up job, which is he can actually control it quite well and, and often in the second half he did manage to trap the ball and I was like okay well done now can you find the pass to somebody else and that was the point he seemed to be really struggling with in the second half because well, I mean it was difficult in the second half I'll, I'll, I'll grant him that because he was always going to be outnumbered but even in the first there was a few moments where you're like can you ship it oh no he's he's giving it away and then that was what was quite frustrating really with Cav yesterday. I mean, Jack, we, we've got it before we talk about Anthony Robinson and that challenge. We've got to talk about the chance that went begging for, for Cavalero with honestly, if that, if that goes in, am I, am I being biased to say that I think that's one of the goals of the season, just the build up play beforehand. If Cavalero just finishes that off and puts it in the corner, certainly I would think it was Fulham's goal of the season. I don't know if it'd be the Premier League goal of the season, but just that team play that the back hill from Lookman to, to Robinson. And then the two passes after that, it was stunning and deserved and should have been a goal. There's no excuse for a, any player, let alone one that's trying to be a centre forward to miss that. Yeah, it, it was a really nice move. Quick uh, in transition to get the final third. The, the ball from Tete to set up Cav was was exquisite. Uh, and it was like the Anguissa chance against Southampton on Boxing Day. Just missed the ball completely. or Well, he didn't miss the ball in, in terms of what Anguissa did, but he hit it like his penalty against Everton, Cav. It almost like slipped and it hit sort of both feet and went over the bar what, what a great move that was it got uh, all the compliments from from the cocom and um yeah it, that if that's one nil you know the last time we beat chelsea was a one nil win at home and a portuguese player scoring and it could have been the same but it wasn't because it, it's ivan caviero and, and ivan caviero has one decent performance out of 10 uh out of 10 games for fulham and yeah that, that chance in the first half, it, it really could have been a turning point. And then a few moments later, we, we get the sending off. So it, it was a, that, that's really hard to take. Uh, and that's the one that's uh, living rent-free in my cranium at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Guy, it probably was, you know, I think there may have been a bit of discussion amongst Fulham fans that, oh, maybe Cavalero can be the answer to our goal-scoring problems after that. A, a brilliant header against Spurs, but I think that proved that, you know, a recognised striker 
gobbles that up. If you have Divock Origi up front, and I know we keep mentioning his name, it's because there's a lack of options, really. Um, even a Dwight Gale probably gobbles up that chance. And it's not Cavs' fault that he's not a recognised striker trying to trying to fill the role of of someone that, that should be, really. Yeah, I think, again, I'm perhaps not as down on Cavalera as maybe the wider Fulham fan base because... I think, like the rest of the team, he's improved and he's been asked to play a different position. And I know that, you know, in football, you don't have time. In general, managers, players, you need to get results quickly. Um, but if you look at the amount of games he's actually played in this position, what, what is it, like six or seven? So, you know, there's a long way to go in the season still. And I think that, yeah, maybe just have a bit of, I know it's, it's, it sounds a bit rubbish, but maybe have a bit of faith and actually think that he will improve as he already has done and he will start taking those chances. I think that Cav offers us, he's always had tried to offer us something out of nothing. and So he, I think that's typically during the championship, but I feel like this level it's a lot, lot harder to have a massive influence on the game if you're only paying like sort of like a bit part role if you know what I mean as in like Fulham don't boss the ball that much as they used to we are trying to plan the transition in very quick um, elements but I do think it's very very difficult for us to to sort of not criticise Cavalero because he is there for to score goals um, and he is there to ultimately put chances like the one he had away I, I would say that if you were looking at Cavalero that played for Wolves like three or four years ago would he put? Would he have put that one away? Uh, he probably would have. Um, I guess it's a case to say that we need a number nine. But as we'll come on to say, uh, probably later in the question section, that it was a very, very limited market this time around in January. Obviously, with COVID, with Brexit, I don't feel there's a, a lot of options out there. So uh, we might, we we may have to just brace ourselves to grin and bear it. Jack, then let's have a look at. The instant that, in my opinion, decided the match. The whole game turned on that incident. Anthony Robinson's challenge on Azpilicueta. <sighs> okay, my question to you, Jack. Is it a red card? That's what I want to know. Do you think it's a red card? Um, my biased head says no. I think maybe the game's gone a little bit soft. It's one of those where it's like halfway between a yellow and a red. It's like an amber, an amber card. <laughs> uh, and um, I think... It, it reminds me of Harry Arter's red card against, um, not not because of the challenge, because of what happened. Harry Arter's red card against Cardiff last season, and an, an influenced red card, you 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 would say, because of Azpilicueta's reaction and because of the crowd's reaction in Cardiff, basically made the referee's decision for him. I think Azpilicueta completely over exit and and basically gets Robertson out for his ridiculous reaction, like grow up. Yeah, Robinson's a. I'm frustrated because Robinson is such a great asset for us down that left hand side, and he's going to be a big miss for us for the next three games. Is it a red? Shall I actually answer the question? No, it's an amber. It's an amber card. <laughs> Guy, do you believe it was an amber card? I mean, for me, it was just one of those where no matter what color it was, I was just frustrated that Robinson gave the referee a decision to make. Yeah, absolutely. That that was my prevailing feeling as well. The fact that you know it's in the opposition third. Um, yeah, it was. Yes, it's fifty-fifty. You want to, you know, I guess, leave one on your opposite number as as they kind of were. As and him were having a bit of a battle. Done that right. Um, well, Chelsea's right, and yeah, I absolutely agree. There's no need for him to make a tackle, and I'm going to say that um, you know, if a player had done that against him, we'd be screaming for a red card. 
And I do think that it, for me, it's not an amber, it is a red. And uh, yeah, that, that would be my position if I was asked. <laughs> I'm wholly with Guy on this one. I think it's, it's a red card. There's there's un, there's a lot of unnecessary force in there. Yeah, I don't think he catches Aspilicueta too much, but at the same time, I think the intent is there. And if you look at it from like in a contextual point of view, like we're on top in that game, or in that particular element, in that particular part of the game. And as Guy said, he's starting to win the battle against Aspilicueta. He's he was streaking past him, using his pace to get past him. We were trying to find those one-twos around Aspilicueta, who's so good positionally, we were starting to find him out in terms of getting it behind him. It's just, in my opinion, a young player that's trying to make a mark on a derby that's had a rush of blood to the head and has made a really ill-informed decision to try and win the ball with unnecessary force just before half-time to sort of give us a bit of a G-up, but it's gone really, really badly. and I think it is a red. Yeah, I think overall, when I saw and and I think, look, I wouldn't have necessarily thought the referee was wrong. Also, if he gave a yellow, I'd have kind of understood. But you know, and and we were looking to VAR to try and overturn it, but it certainly wasn't a, a clear and obvious error for, from the referee. I thought, in my heart of hearts, I did just think it was a little bit harsh. But you know, Anthony's a young lad, and he will learn. Um, and, and fingers crossed, we we come out the better. And and Jams in that second half, you felt like. Fulham have a really good system with this whole five at the back, but the system slightly falls apart when you've only got 10 men because just suddenly everything that we had been doing in the first half just doesn't seem to work because Chelsea was just able to overload us in every area of the pitch. And sometimes you feel like you can do okay with 10 men against 11, but this didn't feel like the situation where actually 10 men was ever going to be able to cope. Oh yeah, I fully agree. I I think that if if we were going to go out there and try and make a, a more of a sort of like, not a fist of it, because I do, I do think we had a, a very impressive display down to 10 men against a team that has good quality, especially in, in wide areas to cross in. But I do think that remaining at five at the back allowed us to be put under way too much pressure because it meant it was very, very difficult to have an out ball that then allowed the team to push, like to push up the pitch with it. <clears throat> so I think we noticed, uh, and we spoke about it just a few minutes ago, when Caballero got the ball, he was isolated a fair, a fair amount. But I think had we had one less in defence and maybe another option in midfield, then potentially we could have seen the ball, you know, being taken up the pitch a little bit more to relieve that pressure, to allow Fulham to reset. And as you say, Sammy, they started to over, overload us in wide areas. We saw crosses starting to come in from the fullbacks from a little bit more of a deeper area that were looking for that, that back post run. We saw a couple of crosses from Hakim Ziyech. Um, we also saw a couple from uh, Pulisic on the other side where they were really trying to sort of hit that winger or that striker that was attacking the back post. Uh, we saw it even more when Tammy Abraham came on. Um, and I think that had Fulham maybe a switch to a back four, maybe had a little bit, someone that was a little bit closer to, to Cavaliero because you look at the space between him and Lookman, they were fairly far apart. If you had someone up there, I think maybe we could have pushed that team up, up the pitch a little bit more. Um, Jack, I mean, Fulham were valiant in that second half, weren't they? And, you know, rightly got a lot of plaudits um, on, on Sky for the way that they managed to hold out as long as they did and, and weren't without their chances either. I mean, the moment where uh, I 
think it was Rudiger and Mendy um, had a little bit of a breakdown in, in communication and kind of the ball fell to, to Cavalero. I mean, I really thought that Fulham might just score there and that really would have put the cat amongst the pigeons. It would have been sensational if you were to nick a winner and get the, get the points over Chelsea. But it, it just seemed as though we would, the only way we'd win the game is if we just got a lucky break on the break. Um, but I think we defended pretty well in the second half, um, given the circumstances. But in terms of going forward, there were limited opportunities. And, and this is where we re- really are crying out for a number nine. Um, and this is where the issue is that we definitely do need a striker in, in January. Um, I can't fault the players' effort in the second half, honestly. I, I, I want to bring positive vibes because, you know, we have lost this game, but at the same time, we've def- we've played so well in the last few weeks that I, I, I don't want to slander anyone. I just think that we are a very, very decent side. And I just think that, you know, in that second half, the limited chances we did have, you know, we almost took one of them, but but they were, they were um, very limited in the opportunities we did get. Um, Guy, obviously you're a commanding centre-back presence and uh, we've seen you uh, play several times uh, for Fulhamish and, uh, you know, man of the match performances, Guy. We're not, we're not messing about here. If you, ever need, if you need a decent centre-back and you live in London, then uh, Guy Barlow is 100% your man. But, the best centre-back um, part I've ever the reason i'm the reason i mentioned this guy is that fulham really did have some problems yesterday defending set pieces um and it was probably the one obvious weakness in our game at yesterday and look chelsea have got uh, a big side and seem to be well drilled um attacking set plays and fulham just seemed to struggle to cope with it and arguably chelsea could have got a couple of goals from that route. Um, what what was your kind of analysis of our, our weaknesses in that area? Yeah, so I think that we're doing a kind of mixture of zonal and man marking, which is like what um, I think most clubs are doing these days at defending corners. And we had a few moments where, you know, with zonal, it's all about like passing on the, the, the men who are running into the box and or not passing them on rather and, you know, staying with them. And we, we had a few moments where, you know, um, Tosin was caught up. Uh, I can't remember who he was caught up with, but he was grappling with someone. And, you know, on another day, that might have been given against us as a penalty. Um, but in this case, I, what I was just thinking was that actually the delivery from the corner is just very, very good. Um, and even when you are zonal and man marking, if every single corner from... Um, either side is coming into that around that penalty spot or in between the, that area between the six yard box and penalty spot it's going to be hard to defend and I think you know I don't want to pile on praise on a Chelsea player but I do think the delivery was just great every single time yeah um, the goal Ben came about um, eventually um, we kind of got breached didn't we Ariola punched out Chilwell's cross and it, and it fell to Mason Mount. There was another moment earlier in the first half where Ariola did kind of one of those punches um, into the box and, and we kind of got away with it. This time he didn't. I, I really don't want to criticise Ariola because he's been fantastic this season, but do you think he could have done a little bit better there? I think the cross has slightly wrong-footed him um, and I think that it's come from an angle that is is fairly... Uh, fairly irregular and I think that's why it's sort of set him back a little bit and I, I think to be honest what he's done is set himself 
slightly incorrectly on his on his starting stance. But I'm not a goalie, so I, I can't really criticise him that much. And I think he keeps us in so many games. I think there are so again some some absolutely wonderful saves from him in in this Chelsea game alone that sort of kept us, especially in the first half, that kept us in it. I think that um, it is unfortunate. Obviously, it's, it's dropped to Mason Mount there, but. As you said, and in, in, in earlier in the podcast, like they were overloading us in a lot of areas, and and they were getting a lot of people in the box. So, um, I kind of feel like, yeah, a mixture of sort of positional error, but also, um, I, I really struggled to to criticize Ariola after his start to his Fulham career. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, we we did this podcast on Thursday and said he's probably the best keeper since Van der Sar. So I don't want to be too hypocritical here and suddenly start you know, criticising him. But look, it was a moment that yeah, he obviously could have done better. Because, and I'm, I'm sure he would be the first to say that. And he also did produce plenty of saves in this game that that kept it at nil-nil for so long. Um, Lastly, Jack, I thought that towards the end of the match, actually Fulham put a pretty spirited fight back to potentially try and even um, claw an equaliser. Thought that actually that the, the combination of, of Kamara and Joe Bryan just seemed to panic Chelsea. And the fact mm. that, you know, they were trying to keep it in the corner to, to defend a 1-0 lead over a 10-man Fulham said a lot for how worried they were that actually we might get back into this match. Well, Sammy, that's just small club mentality, really. I mean, if, <laughs> the, the, the form that Chelsea have been on, they're just trying to claw for anything at the moment. And and to hold the ball in the corner with five minutes of added time uh, against Fulham it is pretty poor from them. But, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do. And I'm sure Frank will be happy with with the three points. But I thought, look, I, I, this is why I enjoyed watching Fulham in the, in the final 10 minutes, because I'd rather con- concede a second, but try and get that equaliser than just sit uh, and basically be damaged limitations. And and the way we uh, approached that final 10 minutes was courageous. Nothing really did fall for us, like in terms of clear cut chances, but at least we showed the intent and, and the pace of Kamara uh, with Joe Bryan as well down the left was a little bit of a threat, but uh, yeah, Ch- Chelsea, Chelsea will have their three points, but you know, the way though in which they went about it was, was slightly odd for me um guy finally just in that final five minutes joe bryan had a free kick um on the uh, on the left hand side and edward mendy was so far off his goal line so <laughs> close to the um to the attacking players i was begging joe bryan to try it again i was begging him i don't know if anyone else noticed this but i really wanted him to just do it i was like what have you got to lose here joe whatever ball you probably put into the box isn't going to work and if if he'd have managed to mug off two west london clubs with the same trick it possibly would have been the greatest fuller moment of all time but sadly he didn't go for it no i i I noticed it as well um he was like quite far across I think at the last minute, to be fair, he did kind of dance back to a, a less aggressive position. That, that's what Scott Parker called it, didn't he, in the playoff final. David Rye had an aggressive starting position. Um, but So Mendes wasn't as aggressive. But yeah, no, I, I, I was, I'm, I'm absolutely with you there, Sammy. I thought it would have been, yeah, just have, have, a, have, a, have a shot. Why not? One for the stats on target. Yeah. But anyway, alas, well, um, Jarms, uh, you look at the table, Fulham now four points from safety. You see Brighton got a good win yesterday. Uh, West Brom got a good win as well. So they're within a point of us. Uh, Burnley did lose though. And uh, what happened to Newcastle this weekend? Have they even played? I'm not even sure they played. They played tomorrow. 
they play tomorrow. There we go. Um, it is looking a bit... <sighs> I don't think bleak's the right word, but it's certainly not the, the position you'd want to be in. Um, I, I think Fulham are going to start have to start turning some wins in soon because as much as you could say that Fulham, you know, were unbeaten in five with all those draws, we now haven't won in seven, which yep. is is never good. Well, yes, <laughs> one win in seven is not good. Well, haven't, not winning in seven is is terrible. But then also scoring three goals in, in seven games as well, which I believe the record is currently, is also not very good if you want to start to survive. I think we need to... I, I've always been a very on side with what Scott has done in, ter- in terms of switching to this back five. But clearly what it has done and what it has illustrated is, is that we are now very much struggling to score. And you're going to have to score goals to stay in this league because there aren't many porous defences um, across the league, I say, in the top 14. So we're going to have to start picking up points off those guys. And the way to do that is, as, as obvious as it sounds, is by scoring goals. So we're going to have to find some sort of solution. Obviously, I'm sure there'll be comments on comments on comments about Alexander Mitrovic and where we can fit him in. And I'm sure there'll be comments on comments on where whatever areas of the pitch can we sort of exploit to get more goals. But I, I think it's becoming blindingly obvious now that Fulham sort of need to kick on in this last half of the season. It's all well and good turning a corner, but you sort of have to keep propelling yourself. Otherwise, you get swallowed up. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we've got lots of questions, uh, some of which Ben has already uh, anticipated. Uh, we'll get into those next. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by Jack Kelly. Hello. Guy Barlow. Hello there. And Ben Jarman. Hello, listeners. Uh, we're going to do a United preview uh, in a little bit. But first, let's go through some of the questions that came through. You got my um, little Star Wars reference there. Oh, no. What did you say? I said hello there. Oh, Which, what Obi-Wan no. Kenobi says. I would ben, never, have, I would never have got that in a million years, but uh, very, very nice. <laughs> right. First question is from Sam 23190589. Uh, definitely not a bot. Um, <laughs> he says, feel like a broken record, but do the pod agree that our wastefulness from set pieces is as costly to us as lacking a striker? Other teams around us pick up lots of their points from them and it feels like a missing link to our game. Um, Guy, I got you to talk about set pieces at one end, so I might as well get you to talk about them from another. He does raise an interesting point here that, look, we aren't scoring lots of goals and clearly there isn't a massive amount of goals in this team. There's only one goal that I can think this season that's come from a set piece and that was a pretty fluky one, which was the um, the own goal by Matt Ritchie against Newcastle, which did technically come from a corner, but not exactly in the traditional sense. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's one area that Scott Parker needs to look at if we are to kind of find a few more goals in this team because you know, chances aren't going to come about all that much. But if we can take you know even two or three from set pieces, it, it would help us big time. Yeah, I think that... Um, the I don't know, like set pieces have always puzzled me in that I think people think that a lot more goals come from them than they actually do. Like, I think Chelsea, a stat flashed up yesterday, Chelsea scored eight goals from set pieces this season, which is the most. So, you know, if, if we've got one or two, it, it, percentage-wise, that's not that far behind. You know, I, And also, the danger from set piece that I'm always thinking about is the fact that you get counted on if you um, 
put it in the box and they hit it away. Like that's more dangerous. And against someone like Spurs the other night, that so many of their goals have come from those types of counter attacks from opposition set piece. So, and I actually also think that Parker has shown a bit of uh, set piece noose. Like obviously we had the Joe Bryan uh, goal in the playoff final, as we mentioned earlier. And I can think of several other examples where, you know, we've done a little layoff or a little um, float to the back post. So I think he, he is up there. It's just maybe the ball isn't falling to, you know, our way in the box. But I guess uh, that's that. I think uh, for me, I'm going to disagree with Guy Barlow for the first time in my entire life. <laughs> in that I actually, I actually feel that we could do a little bit more out of set pieces because... When you look at our side, I think traditionally Fulham have always been quite a smaller side other than Hangland and a couple others that spring to mind that obviously buck that trend. But when you look at the back back line here now and you, you have, you know, six foot five, Tosin Adarabayo, six foot three, Joachim Anderson, uh, six foot two, Angisa, like there are some options uh, that we can get that ball in the box and you see it quite often that Fulham try and float the ball to the back post for Adarabayo to head back the other way but quite often the delivery in in direct contrast to what we were talking about earlier with Chelsea is terrible and, and oftentimes you see it just float straight into the goalie's hands I can remember watching the Southampton game on it was Boxing Day wasn't it mm. when yeah. um, the ball floats into Alex McCarthy's hands so many times where we're just trying to do the same corner over and over again. I do wish that we sort of, you know, attack the front post a little bit more, um, you know, try to pop it on the centre, um, on the penalty spot. Like, I do wish we sort of had a little bit more of a of a variety to our set of pieces rather than just trying to plonk it on Adarabayo's head all the time. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get that. But then like, you know, we're not, we haven't got James Ward-Prowse or That's Mason Mount standing true. over the ball. Like, <laughs> Uh, I'm not really. Yeah, but I guess we're kind of agreeing in a roundabout way that if you haven't got someone good actually putting the ball in the box, then you know you've got to be more creative and maybe even go it short, which I know everyone hates. I don't mind a short corner at all. I I, I get you get where you're coming from in that it nullifies the threat of a counter attack. Um, and you do sort of get to keep hold of the ball a little bit. I mean, one person that can deliver a, a, a ball is is uh, obviously Niskins Cabano. I mean, he's generally better at scoring from set pieces, but we know that he's got a, a, a bit of a whip and a dip on him. Uh, this question from Dean Gribble is, why, when chasing a game, does Scott never opt for Cabano? Kamara has always been his go-to, but I personally don't see what he brings to the team in any way, shape or form. You know, Cabano has a good delivery. Why make him warm the bench? And uh, Jack, I, I fully agree that like yesterday or maybe not yesterday but maybe in the in the Spurs game when when coming on late that I, I think we should see Norm Neeskins Cabano plus the added fact that if Fulham do get a late free kick 25 yards out or stuff I'm I'm very confident that Neeskins is going to give it a good effort unlike Bobby Decadover Reed who didn't hit it more than halfway up the wall against Spurs yeah uh, it's an option I think Cabano is an option but the problem is but I know everyone loves him and he's a bit of a club hero and he can score the odd free kick, but he's actually not that good at football. <laughs> but um, mm. no, honestly, I, I, I think he's, a, mm. he's an option. But in a Premier League game against decent opposition, you know, I remember I was away at Preston last season when we lost 2-1 and he came on. He did absolutely nothing. And that sort of sticks in my mind when, when I think about Niskin Scabano. So, um, 
look, I, I would bring on Abu because I think Abu is more dangerous when it comes to counterattacks and he's quick, although he's a bit like he's a bit of a bull in the china shop, doesn't really know what he's doing half the time. But with Cabano, I think he's too predictable. Jinx inside and then swings one in straight to the keeper's arms. And it's just, you know, rinse and repeat, really. Just put that on repeat. But um, uh, I don't know. I, I just think that we're lacking a bit of quality in the in the attacking options at the moment. And, and you know, he came on against QPR and scored. Yeah, but that, that is against QPR and they're genuinely woeful. So, uh, I think we just need we need new attacking options in this actual window. Can anyone offer a counter-opinion that Niskan's Cabano isn't very good at football? Well, I was just going to say, you know, if you look in the football dictionary, under players who are better when they're out of the team, Niskan's Cabano comes up every single time. Like, I feel like his whole career, everyone's, when he's been not playing, everyone thinks he's amazing. And he's come in and, you know, apart from maybe five games at the end of last season in the Championship, I'm with Jack. He's not very good. He's a fun guy, like <laughs> yeah. a lot. but uh, I mean, he's not Premier League quality. The only thing that comes to my mind is that if I speak, I'm in big trouble, Mourinho me. I think, honestly, he would have gone in the summer had he not had a five-game amazing stand at the end of last season and uh, was awarded with a contract. But I've said it before, and that's just my opinion. Uh, see I will, I'm going to disagree with all of you that I think Niskan Skabana would be a great option I slightly think he's a bit hampered by the fact that he plays the same position as Adamola Lookman who is an incredible winger and in, I think if Niskan Skabana could play a bit more on the right sometimes that I think he'd do half a job for us sometimes and I, I think he can have a bit of quality plus his threat from set pieces as well not just free kicks but he can also take a half decent corner too I, I think he could be an option and um, next question from Sean Foley says if fits do we see the return of Mitro with the delivery capabilities of Brian and Tete seems a no-brainer now Ben Tete and Mitro earlier on the season did have a good partnership and there was those two games in a row against Ipswich and Leeds where they combined and uh, Tete's cross, Mitro's header and it was a goal. And particularly we know how much that Brian and Mitro linked up um, in the championship. I think there was maybe eight assists from from Brian to Mitro mm -hmm. last season, seven or eight, can't remember the exact numbers. And Brian's going to be playing the next three games. If Mitro's fit, it, it, it might be worth a go. We know his lack of pace, but also you're getting a slightly different prospect with Brian and Tete in the squad because they prefer to cross it from deep, which is what Mitro likes. Yes, I, I, I do agree with that. And I, I think that actually Tete and Joe Bryan and Mitrovic is probably more suited to the games that we have against Brighton. And then the one after, which I believe is against West Bromwich Albion. But I don't see, yes. I don't quite see how that, that, court, that um, sort of triplet almost is going to work against Manchester United, mainly because... We're going to be penned back for large periods. Um, although, that being said, that there is a couple of United centre-halves that could potentially be bullied by Mitrovic. I mean, I like Lindelof, and I always have done, but I think that he could be bullied by Mitrovic a little bit, and, and he's there to be got at in the air. Um, if, we, if you get enough around Mitrovic, I think he becomes a much more influential player because he's so good at holding up the ball and, and laying off. I think the criminally underrated side about Mitrovic is that he's actually quite good at picking out a pass and is fairly intelligent enough to recycle the ball to dangerous areas. I think quite often on the podcast, and I'm very guilty of it myself, I'm very, very, very guilty of pigeonholing him into, oh, he's too slow to, to move around and 
you know, he's only good for headers and that sort of thing. But I think against West Brom and against Brighton and hopefully just getting match fit against United, he can have much more of an impact. One thing I did want to say that I didn't say earlier in the podcast is that I did find it very strange that during the second half, we came out and uh, Ola Aina went to, to left wing back and that Tete sort of came in one and then Bobby Dackwood over Reed went to right back when actually I thought that the balance of Aina and Tete down that right-hand side was really good because it meant that Tete was a little bit more threatening and it seemed to make more logical sense to have Joe Bryan at left wing back just to take the ball away a little bit more and give us that threat from sort of like deeper crossing positions. Yeah, I, I fully agree. There was also a moment where suddenly um, they switched, I think, for five minutes um, in the second half and then seems to switch back. I was a bit confused. Uh, speaking of wing backs, um, Lee Warner asks, who in your opinion has been better at right wing back, Tete or Reed? Uh, I think Tete's been decent since he came back, Jack. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's well, Tete is a right back. So it's his more natural position than Bobby D. Cordova Reed. But I think that Bobby D. Cordova Reed needs huge. Yeah, you're right, mate. <laughs> yeah. I, as Gary, Gary Weaver from Sky, Bobby D. Cordova Reed. So I've picked it up ever since, really. Um, anyway, I think that Bobby <laughs> D. Cordova Reed has done really well when he's been asked to play in that role. Uh, but I think, in terms of, you know, the quality of the cross and, and his overall positional play. Uh, Kenny Tetty win, wins that race for me. Well, speaking of Sky commentators, Jack, I'll go straight to you with this next question from Billy Pratt, who said, is there a way to stop commentators mentioning that Anthony Robinson nearly moved to Milan? Please, for the love of God, can we send a memo around to every yeah. commentator that the other commentators have mentioned this and we don't need it mentioning again? Well, this is what I said to my brothers watching the game. I said, surely there should be some sort of commentators group chat where they like look we've covered this story there's no need to say it again it's so <laughs> boring like i get it i get it you were off to milan it was all going to be great but you're not there now you're at fulham you're one of the biggest clubs in the premier league and uh you're, you're doing a job for us so uh look, it's such a bore like it's a, it's obviously a heartbreaking story in terms of he didn't get to his dream move to milan and wigan didn't get their their money but um move on <laughs> I, I mean perfectly put <laughs> I did I did see something earlier on Twitter I think actually it might have been in one of our group chats where it's like commentator bingo bets on Sky on Skybet you know they're definitely doing this just so they can get oh, more yeah. bets I saw that conspiracy theory number one I'm not a COVID denier but I will I will back this conspiracy <laughs> <laughs> okay right well uh, final question from Johnny Bosco, whose at is Dro Exotic. I mean, I've got so many questions, but uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Johnny Bosco asks, have you heard anything at all about a transfer? I haven't seen a single thing. Uh, Guy, have you seen anything that is of note uh, regarding Fulham bringing in a player? I know that um, Peter Rutzler on The Athletic, uh, theathletic.com slash Fulham pod if you want to read his articles uh mentioned that fulham have, have ruled out going for dwight gale but other than that i've not seen an awful lot yeah uh the only thing i think we had posted this morning in our chat was the uh making look making lookman permanent uh for 15 million pounds but that's literally the only thing i've seen um i think uh what i'd be looking at i've been briefly touched on this you know with all the uh uncertainty over COVID and, you know, Brexit with signing players. Like, is there anyone right now that we could be looking at who's banging them in, in uh, 
you know the championship or even league one or like like adam armstrong at blackburn or um oh my gosh you know, yes someone like that who you know someone currently playing uh lots of games and would slot into a system like ours well yeah I, I, adam armstrong i've been banging that drum since since september i mean this guy is frankly unbelievable for blackburn not only that he's got a signature celebration which is of which he just runs to the camera and just puts his arms in the air it's magnificent and we need that sort of you know striker at fulham he's quick <laughs> he's pacey he's got a finish on him and he's also got you know a as his first name which again would slot into the fulham team nicely because we just have a, a team full of a's um so adam armstrong to fulham it's either him or josh king that my group chat keeps arguing over uh, this whole Divock Origi thing, I'm not, I'm not really too sure about. But the thing is, is, is the only thing is, Jack, with someone like Adam Armstrong, have Fulham got the kind of cash to be able to bring him in? I think you're talking 25, 30 million to bring in a player like that mid-season. Have Fulham got that kind of money at the moment? I think we've got money. It's just whether we want to spend it now or wait for the summer. But frankly... A striker is is the difference between us staying up and going down. So I think Tony Khan needs to well stop wrestling for one and, and start and start actually. I'm, I'm sure he's having conversations with with everyone um, every day. But in, in terms of you know what's the date today? It's the seventeenth. I mean we, we are now a couple of weeks away from the window closing. If we don't get in a striker, that that's it until the summer. It's now or never. And I think that Adam Armstrong, look, even if we offer a player the other way, I, I can't. Maybe Cabano, just offer Cabano, and uh, and get Adam I mean, Armstrong in. <laughs> if we if we manage to trade Adam Armstrong for Niskin's Cabano, uh, we <laughs> will. Have, as, all right, I was going to say. I mean, like I love Niskin's Cabano, but that would be the trade of the century. That'd be better than Adarabio. Um, if, if we managed how, how to pull that. How many finals is um, Adam Armstrong scored in though? You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, he'll he'll score Thanks. this season if Blackburn make the playoffs and I generally feel like they could make the playoffs and Adam, Adam Armstrong's going to take them into the uh, into the Barclays okay right well we'll uh we'll we'll leave it there for the questions and then after the break uh we'll look ahead to Wednesday's game against Man United Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here with Jack, Guy and Ben. And we're going to look ahead to Wednesday's game against Man United. The midweek game's coming thick and fast. Uh, there's two more after this, of course, because we're playing Brighton midweek, uh, the week after next. And then after that, uh, a Leicester midweek as well. So tons and tons of Fulham games around the corner. Of course, there's the Burnley game to squeeze in somewhere as well. If we reach the fifth round of the FA Cup, there's a midweek game there. So uh, an awful lot of Fulham football club happening in the next month or so you would believe um but you know the next game is united and look they are on a very very good run of form um they are top of the league um so it's going to be difficult for fulham to get anything out of this uh the first question i'll go to you on this one ben uh elijah asks what system do you think parkour will go with now that reed and robertson won't play against united that's one thing that we didn't mention um in the first part of the pod was the ridiculous yellow card that decker dover reed picked up for a a wonderful tackle mm. the fact he got a yellow card with it for it was an absolute disgrace it means it's his fifth yellow card of the season so he's out no reed no robinson against united um, presumably no Mitro and Kearney, but I d don't know exactly. Um, so, so who does he go with? 
Well, we always think, uh, who have we got that's going missing and who are we going to replace them with? But, but we have Ruben Loftus-Cheek coming back in. Uh, and yes. I, I don't think that's... I, I know that the tide is obviously not a whole wave of positivity towards Ruben Loftus-Cheek at the moment, but he's a ready-made replacement for, for Bobby Reid out there um, on the on the right-hand side. Or if you even wanted to play him number 10 and have a more of a like a dual threat down the middle um, with him and Cavaliero, then you could. Um, and I think that um, Joe Bryan will come in at left back. And, you know, I wouldn't be too adverse to that, um, especially if we can get the ball higher up the pitch um, and, and even potentially just have Mitrovic over Cavaliero to start. Yeah, I, I think that that is my sentiments. If Mitrovic is fit, I would like to see him, especially if Joe Bryan and Kenny Tete um, are both playing. And yeah, you make a good point there, Ben. We do fortunately have ready-made replacements um, in these areas. Guy, I assume you'd go with a, a fairly similar team f- for this one? Yeah, um, I think that what's what worrying me, you know, all those games you just mentioned... Um, is fatigue, you know, um, particularly given that, um, you know, Scott confirms we had, I think it was nine positive cases. And obviously, one of the key symptoms of COVID is fatigue. And I think we saw it with Adam Ola-Lukman yes, uh, yesterday. And I think that it could be a factor going forward again, you know, especially for the rest of this month where we've got those two huge games away from home. So that's travelling as well. And so maybe what I'm trying to say is maybe we should rotate a bit more against Manchester United, you know, um, anything we get against them would be a bonus. They are top of the league. They're in a great run of form. So maybe it could be an opportunity to change things up a a little bit ahead of the, you know, ultimately much bigger games against West Brom and Brighton. I mean, I guess guy, the, the, the fortunate thing is, is that, you know, the fourth round FA cup game against Burnley is a chance for us to rotate then, which would give the team a full week before that Brighton game. You would expect the likes of, of Lukman and Gisa and anyone else that there's a bit of a fitness issue over not to play in that game against Burnley. Because quite frankly, given the fixture pile up, yes, I wouldn't mind a little bit of a cup run, but you know, the fitness of the team and those games against Brighton and West Brom have to be top priority. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's more likely actually that Mitrovic comes back in and starts that game against Burnley in the Cup uh, rather than starts against Man U in, in the league. And probably the same with anyone else who's not 100% fit. Yeah, I, I feel like that has to be just one that Scott Parker were not forfeit. You know, I'd like the second team to try and get a result against Burnley. And no doubt Sean Dyche won't be put, putting his first uh, team out against us either. And, you know, the, the, the sad thing is with the FA Cup this season is that I just don't see us going for it in any game until unless we somehow manage to blag our way into the quarter or semi-finals, at which stage maybe just by the nature of it, we have to take it um, a little bit more seriously. And um, Ben, this is one for you from Reese Benjamin asks, uh, if Joe Bryan plays well for these next few games, does he lock out Robinson or will Robinson get back in regardless? A really tough question. Obviously, I can't give you the answer until we see him play the next three games. And uh, But I would say uh, my instinct probably says that Joe Bryan will probably make way for Robinson to come back in. I think when you look at Robinson's stats, uh, the amount of successful dribbles he has per 90 is very high. The amount of pressure relieves he has per 90 is high. And also the... Um, the sprints that he puts in uh, as well gives us something that Joe doesn't. I, I get Joe is fairly quick um, and he has a fantastic delivery on him. But I think what Robinson offers is that 
that ultimately uh, he's really good on a transition because he has raw pace that allows him to fly up and down that wing. And I think that that will be the deciding factor for me because I think Scott is moving away from sort of like the technical ability of his players into who's got the most athleticism right now. Yeah. Um, one question here, Jack, from Carl Kent, who, you know, is basically asking whether maybe that the United game could be the last game for a little while where we see the back five. And will Scott potentially think about changing the systems, um, starting with the Burnley game as a bit of a trial run for the Brighton and West Brom games in order to give Fulham uh, a little bit more more possession uh, in those matches where clearly Fulham can dominate those teams although that we know that Brighton are a very good passing football team if sometimes they do lack the goals very similar to ourselves it's tricky because our defensive record has been so so quite good over the last few games and the system seems to be working I mean we're getting decent results uh, I, I'm I'm actually really starting to enjoy this system and um I think against teams like Burnley and Brighton and West Brom, who who we play soon, you know our fullbacks can push up a little bit more, and we've got a little bit more control in those areas. But as a overall, I just think we're so solid, and if you're solid from that foundation, it's going to give you a little bit more zip going forward. And we don't genuinely do have the players on the counter attack, the players through transition, like the likes of Angisa, uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek, and then and then up front with Adamola Lookman. Uh, I'm really buying into this system and to change it completely or to uh, to alter it for me would be a backward step. I think, uh, you know, I don't want to draw examples with Chelsea, but you do look at that Chelsea team who played that back three, back five in that season. They won the league with Conte and they were just fantastic. Um, I'm not saying we're anything like them, but uh, it's always good to stick with a system. And if it's, if it's working, then it's working. I, I, I don't see a, a need to change it up as yet. Hmm. Final question. And this is from me, lads. So I went on Twitter last night and uh, very boldly said, putting it out there, we are staying up this season. I'm so confident in this team. Mm. And I'm adamant that at the end of the season, either we stay up and it's great and I can quote retweet it and say, look at my confidence back in January, or I am going to be on the football images that precede unfortunate instance um, mm. accounts. And you know what? Ivor's fine with me. <laughs> so as my final question to all of you, I want you to put your neck on the line and tell me, are Fulham staying up this season? I want no maybes or, oh, it depends on this. I just want yes, no answers. Are Fulham going to stay up this season? So, Jack, I will start with you and I'm I'm pr- I'm pretty confident what you're going to say. I'm saying yes, Sammy. Yeah, you think Fulham, yeah. are, Fulham are staying up? It's not I think Fulham are staying no, up. You're, you're putting I'm your neck yes. on the line. I'm saying yes. I've been banging that drum for a few weeks now. Okay. Guy Barlow. Fulham are staying in the Premier League. Ooh, and uh, is it a clean sweep, Ben Jarman? Fulham are staying in the Premier League. <laughs> oh, I love it. Total confidence on this podcast. I mean, look, I feel like it's it's a bit bold to say that, but I just I just believe this season. There's something about it. You know, you can look at the league table from the same time in 1819, and whilst Fulham had played two more games because we have two games in hand now, we only had we only have two more points than we did that season, but everything in the water is different. It just feels so much more positive than it did that time 
that season. I just something about us. So uh, we shall wait and see. Difficult game against United, and obviously those three games afterwards. Well, minus the FA Cup one, uh, are, are going to be much more winnable fixtures. And fingers crossed, Fulham can start to pick up some points and, and potentially move up the table, which is what we all want to see. Uh, ben, uh, final thing we need to do on the podcast today is name the podcast. So what would you like to go with today's three word review? Is going to be DW's Dark Side Jedi. It was a good three-word review, and and you had to go down the Star Wars route after after the beginning, and because you're a nerd. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're never welcome in my house ever again, Sammy. Uh, but yeah. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you'd, what you're going to invite me round to play lightsabers or something? Yeah, I was actually. <laughs> we we're going to watch. All right. <laughs> All eight films back to back. <laughs> oh, I'm very, I'm actually a bit sad now. I, I, that, that sounds like a fun evening actually. So, uh, all right. Well, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, we'll see what happens on Wednesday uh, against United. Myself, Jack and Peter will be back with the Thursday podcast, looking back at that game uh, and then looking ahead to the FA Cup fourth round match uh, against Burnley, which is a week today on the Sunday afternoon. So, as I said, thanks for listening today. Jack Kelly, thank you for being on. Thanks, Sammy. Guy Barlow, thank you for being on. Thanks, guys. Uh, and Ben, Return of the Jedi Jarman, thank <laughs> you for being on. Thank you very much, Sammy. Cheers, boys. Nice to speak to you all. All right. Have a good start to your weeks. Come on, you whites. You whites.